Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. I hear the whispers in my thoughts. They echo in my mind. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today. We've really been talking about this idea of being your own best version. And last week, we spent three days on those fundamental core principles that are required to be your own best version. And what does that mean? Being your own best version is being you, the unique version of you, the healed, the whole, the high functioning, the person that God has been working on developing and helping you overcome that version of you, the only version that really you can do, and that version that needs to be done. Because you're the only one that can do what God has called you to do. You're the only one that can impact the world in the way that God wants the world impacted. And he chose you and he picked you just like he did all of us. Every single person is important to God. He sees them all He created them all. He knows them all. And he says how beautifully and wonderfully made you are. And we talked in the prior shows about that Psalms 139 verse. And that we can rest in that. That God never stops saying how beautiful and wonderfully made you are. He loves his creation. He signed up for the fact that we made a bad choice and that we're going to continue to be mistake making and continue to make bad choices. But he looks on us as his creation that came out of his heart and out of his mind and was designed the way you are designed, the way I am designed for a very specific reason. And being your own best version helps you find that out so that you are not trying to do a version the world wants, that your parents want, your children want, your friends want, your coworkers or boss wants, that you are being who God wanted. And that's the person that's going to have the most effect on the world for God. And so we're talking about this idea of of being an adult. And the most painful way to live in this world is to live as a child in an adult body. Children are to be protected from the world. We don't send children out into the world. Not only is it very painful if I go out into the world as a child... And I'm not talking about childlike faith with God. It's very safe to be a child with God because we're, we're really not anything other than God's children. But it is not safe to go out into the world as a child and to hope the world will treat you well and to hope the world will manage you and hope the world will understand you or help you in, in the ways that children are needing the support and encouragement and forgiveness and patience. The world is not set up to do that. We have Satan as the ruler of this world, and he has come to kill, steal, and destroy you. So going out into the world is an adult job, and only adults can manage it. And it's hard even as an adult. We see what happened to Jesus. Killed him. 
So this is a very difficult place to live. It doesn't mean it can't have beauty and amazing miracles in it and that we see God working every day if we are willing to look for him. So we want to be a part of that process. So there are principles that adults must master in order to be an adult. So when we live as adult children, I have to tell you, it's highly, it's very costly. The dysfunction of being a young person in a big body is extremely costly because children make very snap decisions. Children are highly reactionary. Children get their feelings hurt very easily. Children can be passive aggressive. Children can, can get into survival mode. And, and as soon as we're in survival, anything goes. We just have to get through the moment. We don't want a child, children making adult decisions because they end up making bad decisions. And it becomes very costly. One of the reasons I have a job is because I have a lot of little people in adult bodies, good people, people I love, people that are highly talented, but they're doing life through the eyes of a child. And the mistakes that they are making in the adult world are very costly. They have business mistakes, mistakes with their children, mistakes with how they manage their money, how they manage their home, how they manage their cars, how they manage their relationships. It becomes extremely costly. There's legal fees, there's therapeutic fees, there's physical, we have to pay doctors to fix things that, that we have done to our bodies because we have not managed our bodies well. So we want to be adults. We want to master that. Now, one of the first issues of being an adult, and this is going to, I want you to hang in here with me because I'm going to use some language that you may not have heard defined this way. And these are actually the correct definitions. We, we use words inappropriately oftentimes. So we're going to talk about ego for a minute. And the hallmark of an adult is that they have a very strong ego. Adults have strong egos. So I want you to think about the adult person, the most famous adult ever appearing on the planet that revolutionized the world, changed the world, was a bona fide adult, and this was Jesus. Jesus was an adult. God did not send a child to do a man's job. He gave Jesus time to grow up before he walked into his ministry. And one of the hallmarks of a very healthy, strong adult is a strong ego. Jesus had what we would call a strong ego. He, he is the best example of a strong ego because what does a strong ego imply? If I have a strong ego, I have incredible tolerance for negative feelings and I don't have to do bad behaviors to compensate for my negative feelings because I can't handle a negative feeling. Jesus handled really negative feelings. A strong ego can handle being misperceived and doesn't have to get overly sensitive. A strong ego can handle being misunderstood or judged and does not hold offenses, but has a greater capacity for understanding and a greater capacity for love of imperfect people. A strong ego doesn't need you to be a perfect person so my life is working. My life is working because I'm doing my life. That's what an adult with a strong ego represents. That my life is working even if your life is not. And so even if your life crashes into mine, as an adult, I still have resources, I have self-discipline, I have self-control, I have tenacity, I can delay gratification, 
I can look toward the goal, and I can work on fixing whatever it is that you did to my life. So Jesus was the hallmark of an adult with a very strong ego. He never lost sight of his mission. He did not act outside of his own value system or moral code. This is the hallmark of an adult. That even if you are acting out or even allow me to act out or encourage me, I will not cross my own value system, even if it means you're uncomfortable. Even if it means you don't like me. Even if it means I don't get to be part of the group anymore. Because I have to live in me. My internal world is the thing I control. So if I can respect me, that's good enough. I like it when other people respect me. I like that feeling. But I don't need it. I'm still going to do what I know I'm supposed to do, even if it's unpopular with you. So we see Jesus being able to take good care of himself. He made sure he was strong enough to endure the cross. He didn't burn himself out. He didn't do things for people that they were supposed to do for themselves. He was able to say no to people even if they, were, they got their feelings hurt and didn't understand him. He was able to remove himself, take time for himself, regenerate himself so that he could continue to do the job that God had asked him to do until that day was done. So he didn't let people rob his energy, steal from him time cause him to do things that he didn't want to do because he didn't want their feelings to be hurt. And at the same time, if they did get their feelings hurt, he was not unkind. He was not resentful. So when we think about this idea of being an adult, that's paramount. So adults, because of having a strong ego, understand the difference between hurt and harm. And you remember in the last show, that's where we said we're going to start today. The difference between hurt and harm is level of sensitivity. See, children survive, but adults have the opportunity to thrive. We want children thriving in our homes. But many times they get stuck in survival. So when we look at the difference between what would harm a child versus what harms an adult. See, if a child is not liked by their caregivers... If a child is not valued by their mom or dad, if a child is not believed or perceived or understood or seen, this can be extremely harmful to a child. It may even thwart their development. And it may cause incredible trauma for them that leads to really bad behaviors in their adult lives. In contrast, an adult can thrive even if people don't value me or don't like me or don't get me or don't see me. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It absolutely hurts. I get my feelings hurt. But as an adult, I recognize that this is hurt. This is not harm. Harm constitutes danger. That's a big difference. And when we are working with adults, adults understand that emotional hurt is not dangerous. It's just hurtful and may create anxiety Maybe, maybe create some melancholy, some malaise, some exhaustion, some weariness, maybe disappointment. Maybe we kind of start to lose hope. But adults can get themselves back, back on track. They can get themselves righted. Little children need adults to help right them. So let me give you an example of, try, uh, of helping a, a child 
really get some stronger ego and helping them grow up. Let's say little Johnny goes to school. He's in fifth grade. He's the only fifth grader that didn't get invited to the birthday party because some of the other fifth graders were being nasty and snotty and exclusive and wanted to pay him back for something. And so they and so they invited everybody in the class except him to the birthday party. So he runs home crying, crying, runs to mommy, jumps in mommy's lap. Mommy hugs him because he's still only 12. He's just little. He's 10, 10, 12. And so hugs him, talks him through it, comforts him, connects with him, attaches to him and says, there's going to be other birthday parties. It was wrong they did that to you. That was nasty behavior on their part. It's not a good version of them. You did not deserve it. But you are going to be okay. You have me. You have your dad. Or you have me. You have your sisters, your brothers. You have me. You have your grandma, your grandpa, whoever the caregivers, the, the people in his life are. We love you. We know you. We see you. You're going to be okay. The next day he gets up, he goes to school, and he manages how nasty those people are. That takes him into his adult life and gives him the ability to replicate that. But if growing up we didn't get that process, then we end up being little people in big bodies running around the world trying to get people to comfort us, trying to get people to stabilize us, trying to get people to say that we're okay. And these are really normal human things. This is not sin. This is how hard the world is. So when we help people grow up, then people feel repaired, they feel restored. And the interaction that they have with other people is reparative and restorative to you. So I want to ask you a really hard question. This is a really challenging question. And I have had to ask myself this question before. Am I the person or are you the person that people need to go be repaired and restored after they've interacted with you? Or are you the person that because you're on top of you, you're an adult, you are managing your own ego, you're not overly sensitive, that when people interact with you, they are repaired and restored because of interacting with you? Are you one of the people that people have to go to therapy over, right? I don't want to be that person. The best way to not be that person is to be an adult, a healthy adult that is able to see the world through an adult perspective so that I have appropriate expectations on the world around me so that I can manage, I can tolerate negative feelings. That's the hallmark of an adult, one that can tolerate negative feelings and doesn't transgress their own moral code because they can't manage negative feelings. So what happens in this idea, when I gave you the idea of this, this fifth grader, right? We have, th we have three, four types of dependencies that we look at. So we go through these different stages of dependency, and we can look at the life of Jesus as well. So the first stage is that we are dependent, and children are dependent on their caregivers in order to survive. This is why CPS removes children from parents or caregivers if they are left alone and they are under the age of 12. We know that mammals 
need to be with their caregivers a certain period of time in order to be able to survive and go out and be in the world. So kittens need to be with their mama cats six weeks in order to survive. Humans need to be with their caregivers 12 years in order to survive. So we know that at a brain development, a physical development level, if a 12-year-old gets lost in a store in the city of Phoenix, he will probably, she will probably be able to figure out how to get the help that she needs and be able to be safe. If a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 3-year-old gets lost in the city, we have a really big problem because time is different for their brain. They are very immediate in their time. They can't think 10 steps forward as to if I do this, then that will happen. If I do that, then this will happen. They are purely in the moment. So dependency is very important. So if we don't get dependency done well, when we move to the next stage, which is independency, and independency occurs in between, we start to get some independent behavior with teenagers and junior high school kids. Like we let junior high schoolers go to someone's house and babysit for them. We let them go to the movie with their friends. We drop them off at the mall. We give them moments of independency, but they're still dependent. All the way up until about the age of 23, people, humans have a tendency to be dependent on caregivers because the brain is not fully online until 23. So when we look at dependency, this means that I cannot survive unless you are in my life. I am dependent on you for my survival. And so we see many adults that might take care of their lives physically, but emotionally they think they'll die if you don't love them. That's a young person's perspective. So when we look at independency, independency means that I can survive all on my own, 100% on my own. I can manage me. I can manage me intellectually, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, um, and, and physically. So when we're independent, that means that the people we choose to be in our lives are going to probably be different than if I'm coming from a dependency model. If I'm dependent, I haven't figured out how to be emotionally independent, the people I pick for my partners are going to be very different than if I'm independent emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, socially. So when you think about this idea of independency, it's very important that you recognize, where am I? Am I really independent or do I have some dependency? Did I not get everything I needed growing up? So that I, as an independent person, the only dependency I have actually is on God. I am fully dependent on God. I know that if God were to remove himself from my life or from the world, we would not survive. There's no way we are self-sustaining in that manner. But as an adult, I am fully independent. And that means that if my husband were to die today, I would obviously be devastated and bereft. I don't know. I, it would take me years to manage that. But I would be okay. I have all my independency needs met so I can take care of myself even if my husband passed. So we go to the next stage, and that's interdependency. Now, interdependency is the last one. That's where we all want to arrive. And interdependency means two are better than one. This is what we would like adult relationships to be. When I work with married people, I'm wanting their 
relationship to be interdependent. So I'm going to give you an analogy of dependency, independency, interdependency. So hang in there with me. This is kind of a complicated little topic. But it's imperative for you to understand being an adult. When I was in my master's program, I was dependent on psychiatrists, psychologists, and treatment centers in order to be able to practice as a therapist because I did not have my master's complete. I did not have certification or license. So I was dependent on those entities in order to do my job. Well, I finished my master's. I did my internship. I did my practicum. I did my 25 hours of su- 2,500 hours of supervision, and I attained a license. As soon as I attained a license, it meant I could operate all by myself in the city of Phoenix, Scottsdale, Metropolitan. I didn't have to have someone supervise me. So I was able to independently practice. The independent piece came because I have a colleague that is also licensed, and we can office share. So I office share with different licensed professionals because it just makes things easier. Two are better for their labor, right? We split the cost of an office. I don't use the office every day. So I get to have multiple office sites, and the cost is less. Now, here's the independency piece. If I'm truly interdependent, then if any of these therapists that I partner with decide not to work any longer, I can afford the offices myself. I wouldn't have to stop working in those offices. I'll just cover the fees myself because I'm interdependent, which means that if I lose that partnership, I'm still independent and can handle it all on my own. So the other part of dependency is an issue of counterdependency. And most of us Americans are counterdependent. I'm sure that you've heard that America is the most in debt Overly medicated, we are on more medications, Uh, we are more in debt, we are more overweight and more anxious and depressed than any other nation on the planet. What does that mean? That means we look independent, but we have counter-dependencies. So we have lots of self-medicating behaviors that help us bolster us up. We're dependent on how people feel about us, dependent on how people see us, dependent on how much people like us, dependent on on drugs, dependent on self-medicating behaviors, whatever that may be. So this show is not about pointing out how whatever messed up things are. It's about recognizing God's doing a good work in our country and doing a good work in you. And he is going to help grow you up so that your life is not so stressful, so that you don't have so much anxiety. You don't have so much worry. You don't have to second guess everything. You can trust you. And you can trust the God in you who made you for this time. You can then walk out the calling that is on your life so that you can have mastery of yourself, which means that you are not as susceptible to the lies, the deception, the oppression, and the condemnation of the enemy. And that is a really good thing. So I'm really proud of you for hanging in there today with this show because this is a heavy, heavy show, this one on dependency. And these are big concepts. So you may want to go to the website and listen to it again because it is really difficult to really integrate. But the main thing here is growing up. And you ask God to help you be a grown-up. You ask God to say, I want to be the grown-up version of me. I am still your child, but I want to be a grown-up version of me. 
because that, that is what combats evil more than anything. A reasonable, rational, strong, healthy, safe adults. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Have a wonderful day. Join me tomorrow as we talk more about this. Make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And thank you, Jeremy, my producer, who's helped me yet again today. God bless you all. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah,